Welcome to the third episode of the Trailside Podcast. In this series, I'll be speaking with cyclists from all over the world that are part of the Kona Ambassador Cycling Programme. In this episode, I speak to Tim Wiggins about cycling and racing for Wiggle, moving from road racing to off-road cycling and exploring Europe by bike. Thanks for coming along. Now, I know I did meet you once before in the past, if I remember right. I think it was at the the Dirty Reaver. Um, and okay. I took some photos of your bike to send to Kona for you because you were there on your uh, Titanium Rove, I think it was. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a good day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that must be I think, uh, now how many years ago. That was 2017, maybe 2018. It would have been. Yeah, I, only, I went over once. All right. And yeah, it was definitely a few years ago at this point. Um, but yeah, that was that was a nice weekend. Cold morning in the start, but the rain held off all day long at least. And big turnout as always for the Dirty Reaver. Yeah, no, it was it was very cool. I think that was one of my first events on the um, the Rove Titanium, which I had at that point built up with a a Lauf fork, um, which yeah. I think was actually quite an advantage on that Dirty Reaver course. There was quite a lot of kind of rock slabs and and actually quite difficult descents, which would have been tra- challenging on a on a kind of uh, out-and-out fixed gravel bike. Um, but no, that bike now is primarily my kind of long-distance touring bike, so it's gone through a bit of a transformation. It's got a, a kind of a rack on it and uh, and a fixed uh, carbon fork and uh, slightly more kind of road-orientated gearing and stuff, but um, it's, done, it's done some fairly significant miles now. Cool. Awesome. Uh, So I suppose if we can maybe just start off, if you just tell me a little bit about yourself and kind of how cycling is involved in your life. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, I've been I've been cycling probably for as long as I can remember. Um, I live now on the Isle of Wight. I also grew up here and moved away for a few years. Um, But for those that don't know, the Isle of Wight's a kind of small island off the south coast of the uk which is a little bit like a microcosm of cornwall or maybe devon um but actually kind of a fair bit closer to southeast england and kind of london than than cornwall or devon um but very good riding here um yeah so i've been riding for a long time i kind of started uh competitively riding bikes i suppose doing orienteering mountain biking when i was in my early teens um I then actually moved away and did coastal rowing for a while, which is something which water sports end up being a um, a feature of living on an island quite often. Um, but then I came back to compete in mountain biking in, in 2011 um, for what's called the Island Games, which is like a, a kind of mini Olympics for islands from all over the world. So you get people coming from... Um, you know Jamaica and Barbados and the Faroe Islands and and lots of uh, different places so so I kind of took mountain biking up when I was asked to represent the Isle of Wight in that um, event which was on the Isle of Wight that year it it varies it moves around different islands all over the world Um, and I got back into mountain biking then Um, and then when I graduated uh, from university i'd spent a few years during university concentrating actually mostly on road racing um but when i graduated from university i uh, i started working for wiggle which most people will know as one of the kind of big online retailers um in the uk and globally um and uh raced quite a lot 
on the road still then overseas with with Team Wiggle, which was the the staff sponsored team. Um, and then I think I picked up my first Kona in 2016, um, which was the the kind of original looking Kona Private Jake, uh, which I still maintain uh, was one of the first gravel bikes ever ever released. It was effectively a, a cyclocross bike designed by mountain bikers, so it would take 40c tires and mm-hmm. uh, and you could ride it a lot more aggressively than you could a, a kind of traditional cyclocross bike um and uh yeah that's taken me on on many adventures i think i've still got that bike and still use it every week it's done now close to fifty thousand kilometers i think so um it's a yeah it's a well-used <laughs> rig um but uh, but at the same time as, as getting the private Jake, I also started doing a lot more long distance uh, riding and racing. Um, so events like the Dirty Reaver, which for those that don't know, that's a, that's a 200k gravel race in Scotland on the Scottish borders. Um, and and I've also been off racing on the private Jake in um, in Switzerland and uh, in the in the Italian Alps and places as well. Uh, doing kind of cyclocross slash gravel stage racing um and uh yeah the the kona rove which we which we kind of touched upon a little bit earlier is my is like my long distance touring bike so i've done some fairly kind of mammoth trips on that things like uh copenhagen in denmark to andorra via um the swiss alps and the italian alps um so it was like a two and a half week trip that was three thousand two hundred miles. That's sorry, three thousand two hundred kilometers, um, and uh, yeah, with with a fair bit of climbing in there as well. Um, and and I've done a number of tri- other trips, like riding back, flew out to Rome with a bike, and then rode back to Holland, um, and uh, have done the, the kind of north coast of Scotland, west coast of Ireland west coast of wales is one trip as well um so the the rove has very much become my kind of like long distance touring bike um really great bike incredibly comfortable to ride uh the kona private jake's still my kind of cyclocross race rig um no i do sort of have a, a kona sutra limited which is a a bike which i built up with the intention of doing the Tour Divide event in 2020, which unfortunately was was curbed or shelved because of uh, because of COVID, um, and uh, yeah, so a number of Konas in the um, in the stable, and all of them have quite different kind of uh, stories and um, and purposes behind them. That's uh, yeah, that sounds pretty awesome. That that's, you've definitely gotten around a lot on those bikes what did you say about fifty thousand kilometers on the jake on, yeah on the Kona private jake yeah i used that for for commuting into work uh for many years um which was a sort of 30 kilometers each way trip which helped to rack up a significant number of miles on it yeah. um but it's also just a fantastic bike to ride i mean i've i've, I've ridden you know very high-end gravel bikes um stuff like the fruity explorer um and the you know kind of ridley can so fast and stuff like that and i still find that the private jake is just it has the ability that you can kind of just let it go and it 
it, it rides like a mountain bike almost on a you know on a on an off road downhill and and stuff. So it's um, yeah, it's really good fun, and it just has me going back and picking it up every time and time again. So yeah, cool. And um, so while you were road cycling, as you said, road racing, were you, were you kind of was that part of um, Wiggle? Were, were, was that in the same amount, same kind of time? Were you on the team of your employer, or were you doing this kind of privately? Like, were you, were you one of the people that was lucky enough to get on board a team, or were you kind of roughing it out like some of the other guys and just do a privateer and go to all the races that you can and training as much as you can and trying to hold down a job as well at the same time? Uh, well, I mean, I, so I was doing a full-time office job for Wiggle, but I was effectively also sponsored by Wiggle. So we used to receive uh, we used to receive team bikes, um, which varied from. Unfortunately, none of them were ever Konas, but they were you know they were Felts <laughs> or, or Eastways or Vitas bikes, um, and and we had a team of sort of ten of us, I suppose, five to six maybe that were were actively competing a lot. And we were going off and road racing um, as far afield as the Italian Dolomites, um, but also, you know, kind of locally um, around the south of the UK and and Wales and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of good times then. And it was it was that was kind of during, I suppose, a real boom in road cycling in the UK following the 2012 kind of Olympic success, Tour de France success. Um, so it was a really great time to be on the road cycling scene. But then I think I probably had that um, that realization more, or the kind of urge to explore more that a lot of people have found recently with gravel cycling. Um, so you know, we've seen a huge boom in people turning from from road cycling towards gravel cycling um, mm-hmm. in in recent years. And I think I probably made that switch actually back in yeah, 20, 2017, something like that. So. Um, I, I did moved away from doing less road racing and doing more off-road racing, so both mountain bike and and gravel, um, and and kind of doing a lot more events overseas as well, so Denmark and Italy and France and stuff. Um, so, awesome. Yeah, some very cool, very cool events. Um, I think one of my favourite was probably the the Hero Dolomites race, which is a um, set in the Dolomites obviously but it's a, a mountain bike race um, which has about four and a half thousand riders take part in it um, and it's uh, it's 87 kilometres but with four and a half thousand metres of climbing so it's um, ouch it's yeah it's, it's a lot of up and down <laughs> um, so you're at proper mountain bike racing so yeah I can't imagine doing that amount of climbing within within one race like that that just seems insane but at least as if you're going up you get to come back down again you yes you do yeah although in the context of that race i seem to remember the coming down was a little bit like hanging your ass over the back seat and and praying (laughs) for god you didn't go over the handlebars because it was so incredibly steep um but yeah phenomenal experience it's the uh a, a really cool event to take part in and then uh, some of the uh, gravel bike events I've done in Switzerland, which uh, the Tour Tour Cyclocross, as they're called, um, those are like a three-day stage race um, on a gravel bike. And um, one of them is set in winter. So you, you're racing, you race up above the snow line 
during the stages, um, which is a, yeah, a really cool experience. Um, and then everyone stays in one hotel down at the, uh, so it's quite a kind of race, uh, kind of a mini festival atmosphere as well. And so the each stage starts and finishes from the same spot, like the same kind of town by the hotel? Yes, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, uh, yeah, it was a really cool format. So you basically, the, the event takes over a hotel um, and then you go off and do the first afternoon is like a fast, furious crit just close by to the hotel. And then Saturday and Sunday are much further off-road, um, kind of like single track and and kind of double track through the forests and stuff, uh, riding, which, um, which to me is always what, yeah, I think I've always sort of pushed the limits of what gravel really entails. Um, and I much prefer to kind of tend towards events that do that. Um, so, you know, gravel can be quite basically like a, you know, small pea-sized gravel that you're, that you're riding on around, uh, you know, big pine forests and stuff like that. Or it can be really actually pushing what you can do on a bike with a fixed fork and, and 40C tires sort of thing. Um, yeah. I've always tended to go for the latter. So I've sort of been effectively riding mountain bike trails on a, um, on a gravel bike, which, mm-hmm. which is actually where the Kona Sutra uh, really comes into its own because that will fit you know, pretty substantial tires. I've got uh, 50C tires um, on that at the moment and you can, you can ride that with wide handlebars almost like a mountain bike um especially yeah. because the steel frame just means that you you're kind of not wincing every time you you hit a bump or, or rock <laughs> yeah i had a suture for a while the the suture limited day i think it was an orange one but it was more of a custom build so i had the frame and fork but i had um like uh they were 650 wheels but they were like cross-country mountain bike wheels so i had big loads of clearance for tires and wide rims and i think i had mountain bike gearing on it with um a mix of like 105 hydraulic brakes and shifters but with like shimano slx cranks and a huge cassette on the back so yeah if i was cycling on the road once you kind of hit about 30 kilometers an hour your legs are going crazy but you're not going anywhere but um i could i took down some crazy routes and over some seriously rough gravel and uh i don't have it anymore but I use a Libre now, but there's one thing that I really liked about the steel frame was uh, even though it was heavy, it was just so comfortable. Um, yeah. I kind of look back and wish I never got rid of it. Yeah, no, I can, I can remember I went out to a Kona press camp out in uh, Austria, I think it was, in um, in twenty probably 2017, 2018, something like that, and rode the, the Sutra when it was first released. Um and I can remember thinking then riding it around a bike park in Austria, but actually it was a, a really capable bike. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it is, I've got, I've got kind of the, those Richie sweep handlebars on mine. Um, and it's still got the original wheel set actually and, and group set on there. But, um, but yeah, it is just a, a really cool bike and ride it with a very short stem relatively large frame size but with a very short stem so it feels mm-hmm. more responsive as well which is it's very cool um i say that bike was basically built up with the intention of doing the tour divide in 2020 um which which was all booked but didn't come to fruition because of the pandemic um 
but uh, it's still kind of on the cars to do something a bit like that, whether it's Tour Divide or um, a kind of a full length of New Zealand or something like that. Another big kind of off-road tour. Yeah. A full length of New Zealand sounds pretty big like I, I, I've, I haven't really heard much about any kind of gravel events or recent events down that side so is is it a big thing over there I know there's uh, mountain biking and downhill is pretty big in New Zealand but I'm, I wasn't aware of any kind of gravel stuff yeah, going on they do, they do an event called I can never pronounce it correctly but it's a tour Aotearoa which uh, is actually like a a mapped a mapped route and a um, and an official tour with you know, start times and everything. Um, so I don't think they classify it as a race, but you are. Yeah, but I think they do register times and things. So there is an official event that you can do, which which runs the full length of the country. Um, and it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, some, it's somewhere that I'd, I've got family out that live in New Zealand, but I've never actually been out to um, to visit. So uh, it's kind of a, a double reason to go out there. The scenery looks yeah. incredible. Um, proper Lord of the Rings territory, obviously. And uh, um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it'd be a really cool event to do. Um, I, I don't know whether I'd do it um, you know, fully uh, self-sufficient or, or, you know, or do it a bit more like a relaxed tour where... Um, you know, meet friends and and stuff that might be doing it at the same time in a motorhome in the evenings and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. avoid having to carry quite so much kit and and enjoy the riding a bit more free and yeah. light. Um, so, but yeah, one to one to hopefully plan for a few years time. And are you, are you getting many um, long distance touring cycles in these days? Like with using your rove, or like, and is there much long distance cycling to be done on the either white? Would you have to get the ferry over to <laughs> the, the mainland yeah. UK or you end up, head off yeah. to Europe? If you if you were to do long distance cycling on the Isle of Wight, you would probably end up going back on yourself quite a lot. Although I have designed a number of two of two hundred kilometer gravel routes on the island, which don't go on the same track twice, which is quite impressive. That's um, not too bad, but. Uh, but no, I have been doing some trips. Um, I've got a, a girlfriend that lives in uh, in Manchester, so that's a fair distance from the Isle of Wight. Um, she's up there for another six months doing a, a postgrad degree, and uh, I've I, back in January this year, I, I made the attempt to ride from home up to Manchester on the Rove in in one day with a fully loaded set of panniers. Um, which uh, was it was going to be three hundred and seventy kilometers, and I got to about two hundred and eighty. I got to Wolverhampton, which is is just kind of north of Birmingham, um, which was a long day out. You know, two hundred and eighty k mm. is still a long way to ride on a fully loaded touring bike in January. Yeah. Um, so I am still, and and I actually did it again later with a friend over three days. We rode up to the kind of Cotswolds on the Thursday. And then into mid Wales for the second day, and then I rode on to Manchester on the third day. So, um, so those have actually been my only two kind of bike tours uh, this year. Um, there's been a, a bit of a kind of other stuff on to to take up the time, and um, yeah. but uh, but yeah, I definitely still enjoy that that touring um, feeling, and and really enjoy doing. A to B riding in particular, um, even if that's just like a day ride, I think it's it's really um, cool to see how far you can get on a bike. Um, and 
and kind of where your where your kind of mental capabilities and physical capabilities can get you to. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely something I've I've always kind of wanted to try. And I, I mainly kind of mountain bike and off road, but I do have the pannier rack and all the bags to to throw onto my gravel bike and head off. But there's I've so many of these kind of little routes planned out where like you know you'd go somewhere and you'd pitch a tent for the day or something and then come back the next day um mm. like all these kind of dreams and aspirations that i just never have <laughs> gotten around to getting around yeah. and doing um but yeah i've i definitely want to do that i know i know it's winter time here so there's not much chance of happening but i don't know maybe next summer i can nail down a couple of the dates and say right this is happening doesn't matter what ha- what's going on just have to get it done and then you know don't give myself any excuses. Yeah, I think that's the way to do it. Um, my kind of my format of doing long distance tours for you know for I pretty I pretty much did a long distance tour every year from 2016 until um, 2019, I suppose 2020. Um, so whether those were ones. Uh, over in so I did a the first tour I did I actually did on the private Jake with uh, with kind of a full on bike packing setup rather than a rack and panniers um, and that one I caught the ferry to Santander which is on the north coast of Spain and then rode along the north coast of Spain down the length of the Pyrenees to a friend near Carcassonne um, and then rode uh, back up the west coast of France so kind of Bordeaux Vendée into Brittany and then caught a ferry back from Brittany. Um, and in a way that I suppose you commit to doing a tour like that is that once you've got on that ferry and you've landed on the north coast of Spain, you've got only one way <laughs> to ride your bike. So um, it sort of forces you to do it much the same as, as say, I flew to Rome with a Rove in 20, uh, 2018 um, and rode back from Rome to to Holland and then and then back down to the Isle of Wight from um, from Harwich where the Holland ferry goes into, um, and that's much the same thing. You know, once you've once you've got off that plane in Rome, then you're you're kind of riding a bike to get somewhere. Um, and mm. uh, but there's there's also an element of um, of real freedom in doing that. I think that you you know I've never. I've all, I, most of the time always wild camped occasionally book into hotels or pre-booked into hotels um but it gives you that ability to quite literally just see how far you can get each day um depending on how you're feeling and how um yeah you know, how, how the weather is and stuff um and and i've often stayed with with friends and family kind of en route which gives you a bit of a milestone to aim for so you kind of know how much you want to be doing each day so that you arrive mm-hmm with them on time um but it's uh yeah it's a very unique kind of freedom just to be able to ride and ride through numerous countries and numerous um you know terrains and environments um and experience some really incredible culture and food and meet different people all along the route so obviously you'd have your route planned out. So when you arrive somewhere and you know you want to cycle back, you've got your route that you're going to follow. But if you are wild camping and if you don't have anywhere particular to stay, as you said, you just kind of see how far you can go. Like, just say you have a week set aside, 
you know, do you have, have you got that planned out far in advance so that you kind of have an idea of, okay, I need to do at least 50K or at least 100K every single day. Otherwise I'll fall behind. Or do you try and push yeah. ahead of yourself to leave yourself with, you know, an extra day of rest at the end? Or what way would you kind of plan out and do on it? Yeah, so I, t- I tend to plan out for routes pretty uh, pretty completely, really. So I, I know you know that on that one day i'll aim to do however far it is somewhere between 180 if it's a hilly day or 240 if it's a flat day um in one go and then i'll know that that lands me in say a forest which looks like it might be a suitable place to find a wild camp away from a civilization or something that kind of works very well most of the time until like you have a big mechanical or something and you mm. lose half a day and then and then you end up you know kind of like uh yeah playing playing catch up and, and doing some either some huge days or well probably doing some huge days but also camping in some less than perfect kind of places which has happened once or twice um but uh that's all part of the you know the the enjoyment, I suppose, and also the, the thrill of doing something like that is that you have to be quite adaptable. Um, even if you've planned literally the route down to every day, things will things will happen. Things will um, develop that mean that you have to do something a bit different. Yeah. I know while I was working um, a few years back when I was in a bike shop, I we just had this random person just cycle along one day with a, a huge trailer full of stuff on this old bike that he got from Decathlon about 15 years previous. He was he was a French man. Um, I can't remember his name. I think it was Janique uh, or Janique. I probably butchered his name, but he has literally cycled. He said he cycled on every continent bar. I think it was South America. Um, and like, and he just rocked up to the bike shop, said, oh, do you mind if I fix my bike? And he, we said, yeah, what do you need help with? And he said, no, no, it's OK. I have everything here I need. And he just he spills out a pile of loose bolts and nuts and tools onto the floor and just starts digging through so he can fix one of the wheels on his trailer. So, you know, we met him a cup of coffee and we were chatting away to him. And, and he was saying that, yeah, pretty much everything that he has spare for his bike, he just picks up off the ground along the way. Um, and so like if he needs to stop somewhere to fix his bike he just like oh yeah there's a bolt on the ground I'll take that with me because I'll need it at some point um, and he was there fixing his bike away and fixing his trailer he didn't have any kind of GPS with him he had an old just you know the basic little computer with a magnet on the wheel and there was something like uh, 80 something thousand kilometres on it I think um, like he cycled all wow. over he's cycled through Russia um, all over the Middle East around Asia and all over the place and I think he said the best roads in the world I think he said were in Iran um, because they have these huge motorways that are seven eight lanes wide for all the oil trucks and there's nothing but oil trucks Um and he said they're the smoothest and they're the best quality roads he's ever cycled on as long as you're not getting constantly beeped at by these giant trucks. Uh, and he, he was telling us about how uh, somebody was driving past him in their camper van and they were pointing out the window and, and they, he didn't know what they were saying. But then, they, you know, I think somebody snapped a photo of him um, and then he found out about two weeks later that he 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 nearly went kind of mini viral on Twitter because he didn't realise but from cycling along those roads surrounded by the huge trucks he was from head to toe completely black with just dirt and soot from the trucks and they had this photo of him of this guy that looked like he's just after coming out of a coal mine 
on <laughs> on a bicycle. Um, but yeah, the, he was some. He had some pretty cool stories, and uh, it's it's great to see that people can just kind of go for a wander on their bike and and he would have been wild camping out of the little tent and he just cycled along the road and he feels like he's done enough cycling for the day if he sees a gate in the side of a wall he'll just kind of go through the gate and hide down behind the wall and pitch his tent where he won't be seen or disturb anybody um, <clears throat> and I can't I can't imagine doing that for me like that would be no I'd have to I'd have to have it planned I'd have to have I know this I'm not going to camp in a field I'd have to have a campsite because I don't know what's going to go wrong and I'll wake up and there'll be cows sniffing at the tent door or I'll I'll anger some farmer and he'll be pointing his shotgun at me because I'm not as laddened or something like that I don't think wild camping would be uh, suitable for me in my mindset I'd be too kind of panicky but that's just I suppose here in Ireland, like what, so like what was it like around Europe? Is it is there different laws, or is it a little bit more kind of acceptable to like if you're in a woods, can you just pitch a tent and be left alone? Ah, uh, hmm. well, it, I have wild camped in Ireland actually on quite a few occasions, but um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, wild camping, I suppose, is one of those things. It's yeah there are places where it is legal um, and there obviously is a right to roam and you're entitled to camp for a, a night or two as long as you obviously don't damage anything and it's not um, uh, it's not a fence to camp there sort of thing um, but my general experience I think is that you know, I have also camped in places where um, you're often on private land um, or, or kind of communal land, I suppose. Um, and I think that, you know, I've written some stuff about it for, for my blog um, in terms of the best way to do it. And, and I think if you, if you turn up on a bicycle late in the evening, pitch up a tent and keep your campsite tidy, tidy um, from the moment that you get there um, to the moment you leave and you, you don't leave any kind of trace that you've been there, then most landowners will not you know, will not be uh, too um too troubled by it um mm-hmm. i've had a you know i can remember one of the first tours that i did back in 2011 or something we were camping in a field in france and just as we were about to go to sleep these huge headlights kind of like shone through the fabric of the tent um and it was uh you know was the farmer and his tractor and the tractor was a, a massive uh thing with with pitchforks on the front <laughs> and it, it just it had this kind of thing going through your head that he was just going to pick up the whole tent on the front of his tractor and and dump it outside the on the road um but actually he was very nice about it he just stopped and had a chat and he was just getting some food for his cows and he had spotted the two tents and came over to see what we were doing um, he didn't ask us to move on. We left in you know, the next morning, and and it was all fine. Um, so it's it's something which can be done with some well, a good degree of kind of sensitivity, and often you can just ask people as well. You know, if you yeah. uh, um, so it's uh, you know ask a landowner, ask a um, a farmer or something if you can just camp at the, at the bottom of the field. Um, and I've actually had you know, an experience in Germany, for example, when I asked a lady if she knew anywhere where I could camp because I was getting a bit desperate to find a campsite. And she said, well, you can camp in my back garden, follow me, follow me back to the house, got back to the house. And she said, actually, just have a spare room, you know, just come in and stay in the house. Um, <laughs> do you want any dinner? So, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> 
So, you know, it can work to your favor if you if you ask as well. Um, people mm-hmm. are generally very hospitable towards cyclists, I find. I think they're fairly inoffensive humans. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds pretty cool. Like, just the fact that some stranger would be kind enough to be, oh, you know, come along and you want some food. Here's a bed and a shower you can have for the night. And I suppose when you're cycling all day long and you're getting up the next day and you have to go cycle another long day and you just feel like, God, I just want a hot shower so I can just feel clean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, when it's, I mean, doing it when it's cold and wet into rain, a hot shower becomes, yeah, like like gold in your mind, I think. Mm. Um, yeah. It's a bit, you know, cycling through the south of France or the Alps or something in the summer months, you can quite happily pitch up by a river at the end of the day and just have a wash in the river, which is equally as, as mm. fantastic. But, but no, I mean, I had the trip that I did down the northwest coast of Scotland and then I crossed over to Ireland and went down the north the west coast of Ireland um, back in 20, was that, 2019. Um, that trip, the weather was just always against me. So the, the weather turned yep. on the west coast of Scotland and was just sort of gale force eight, force nine, headwind, driving rain. Um, and after, you know, I can remember after a couple of days of that, I checked into a hotel and just rerouted myself and went further inland in Scotland and then through to Ireland. Then it happened again in Ireland, but I had the first day with glorious sunshine and then it was again, the gale force headwinds and these tiny little roads going up and down. Um, and I got to about uh, Sligo on the, uh, on the West coast uh, and then rerouted back across. And I was meant to be going down the entire West coast and then coming uh, Roslair Fishguard Um ferry route back to wales but i ended up kind of diverting across and doing the ferry from dublin to hollyhead instead and then riding back down through wales in the middle of a heat wave which was quite a (laughs) that was definitely the right decision but um so yeah there's uh yeah there's flexibility in in everything you do um and I think sometimes you do just really crave having a warm shower and a comfortable bed if you're if you're putting up with riding through kind of uh, unpleasant conditions for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you do treat yourself to that, then it really feels well worth it. So um, it's yeah. Do you ever find that there's much of a language barrier when you're traveling across mainland Europe? You know, if you're going from France to Spain to Germany to Italy, like uh, to is the is the the majority of people do they speak well enough English or do you can you speak French or German or Italian or Spanish or um, I can speak a little <laughs> bit of French and that's about it. Um, uh, so, but but to be honest, you know, much as I hate to say it, they're so much better at speaking English than we are speaking in languages. <laughs> you kind of end up just trying, and then they're like, "Oh, you're English," and and you revert to speaking in 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 english but yeah. but no i do speak i speak enough french certainly to be able to get by um and uh, and yeah just sort of muddle your way through with a bit of sign language in the other countries as well so <laughs> just just and point cor- at things corporate. and make noises yeah 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 but uh yeah it's all all part of the experience well that's that's pretty amazing you've definitely lived quite a an exciting life when a when it comes to cycling and exploring and adventuring and touring and racing and and everything in between um 
but yeah that's that's pretty awesome um and well thanks for coming on and having a chat with me about your kind of cycling experience and i i appreciate you giving me the, your time this afternoon no thanks thanks to chat and um yeah i mean i, I don't know if uh if the readers would be aware but i also so i write uh life in the saddle which is a blog which has been going for over 10 years or so now so you can kind of find all of all of those stories and a fair bit of advice on stuff like wild camping and bikepacking food and kit and stuff cool um on there so it's life in the saddle.cc so if you have any kind of uh, questions as well you can just shoot me a comment on the blog or a um yeah a message on instagram or twitter or something and i'll uh, can come back to you with with my my personal experiences and suggestions and, and things on so lifeinthesaddle.cc is your blog website and are your social media names the same? Is it Life in the Saddle on Instagram and Twitter or Facebook no, or it's, YouTube? No, uh, I'm just I'm Tim, Tim underscore Wiggins one on Instagram uh, and Tim Wiggins one with no underscore on Twitter. So, um, But uh, yeah, you you can find it all. You, they're all linked from, from the blog. So it's got kind of uh, uh, the social media profile links on there as well. So. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Right. Thank yeah. you very much. 